Jeremiah chapter 11 this morning, continuing in our series in the book of Jeremiah. Found a story about um, a lady called Mildred, an older lady, who was attending a small church in the Midwest. But she was also the church, church gossip and the busybody in the church. And so one Sunday morning, she confronted George, one of the members of that small church. And she said to George in front of everybody, you know, everybody knows what, you're, what you were doing with your truck parked out in front of the only bar in town, George. And I think it's really a bad witness for you to be there. And I can't believe that you're such a bad witness claiming to be a Christian. Well, George didn't say anything. He kind of looked down in his shoes and then just turned and walked away. Uh, later on that evening, that day, uh, George, on his way home, uh, stopped by a Mildred's house, parked his pickup in front of her house, and then walked home. <laughs> Takes a while to get the idea what's going on there. <laughs> You see, there's a, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to minister in difficult situations. <laughs> uh, the reason I say that is because in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is seeking to serve the Lord, and yet, seemingly, the whole culture is going the opposite way. And we'll see in this chapter and, and chapters later on that Jeremiah is in a very difficult situation. How is he to minister? Well, the application for us is we're in a society where it's slowly becoming evident that we're like angels and strangers in our own land that we were born of. Our, our culture seems to be going one way and the Lord is calling us to go the other. What are we to do? Well, here in chapter 11, we come across some lessons. Some lessons from the life of Jeremiah that I think are very applicable to our life here in the United States, or will be very soon, if not today. So, um, two main thoughts we'll be looking at. First, our responsibilities in light. uh, Just because everybody else is brain dead in this country spiritually, or most people are brain dead, uh, doesn't mean that we have to go along with them. There's certain responsibilities that he has called us to. And so let's take a look at them. I'm going to, we'll kind of read the verses and and talk a little bit. So first, um, Jeremiah 11, 1 through 8. We'll look at two of our responsibilities in light of where our culture is going. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not heed the words of this covenant, which I commanded your forefathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, that would be Egypt, saying, Listen to my voice and do according to all which I command you, so you shall be my people and I will be your God. In order to confirm the oath which I swore to you, your forefathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. Then I answered and said, Amen, O Lord. 
And the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warn your fathers in the day that I brought them from the land of Egypt, even to this day, warning them persistently, saying, Listen to my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked each one in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I brought on them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. First responsibility that we have, we see in verses 1 through 8, the Lord would have us to know and to proclaim the truths of the Bible. The Lord would have us know and proclaim the truths of the Bible. Now we need to remember at this time there was a king called Josiah. Josiah was a good king. He loved the Lord. And he ordered that the temple be restored. His granddaddy Manasseh, a very evil king, had allowed it to fall into disrepair and to be misused. And while the priests were cleansing the temple, they came across a book. What kind of book? It was the book of the law, the first five books of the Bible. They kind of said, we found a book. And they gave it to King Josiah. And King Josiah read it. Do you remember what he did? After he read it, he tore his clothes. Why would he tear his clothes? Well, in that book is a book called the book of Deuteronomy. And in the book of Deuteronomy is chapters 27 and 28. You might want to mark those down. Go home and read them. This is the, the two chapters that were called the blessings chapter and the cursing chapters. In one chapter is all the blessings if the people of Israel would walk with him and obey his commandments. And then the other chapter is the cursed chapter and all the curses that would come upon the people if they disobeyed which was written that which was written in the book of the law. I think that's what Jeremiah read and caused him to tear his clothes. Seems like Jer- uh, Josiah... Josiah was unaware of the words of the book. Most of the people hadn't heard it, and even Jeremiah. This book was probably hidden away somewhere in a closet in the back parts of the temple. And so the first thing the Lord tells Jeremiah, he says, listen, you need to hear these words. You need to know this word, and then you need to do what? Proclaim it to the people. That's our first responsibility. Now, a classic example from the Bible of a man who did this is the man Joshua. Do you remember as he was on the east side of the Jordan River getting ready to go in? Moses had passed away. Josiah was the man. He's the number one guy taking, filling the shoes of Moses. And the Lord said to Josiah, I mean, Josiah, uh, to Joshua, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And then you will have your prosperous, and then you will have success. He said, you meditate and put that word of God in your heart, so all your troubles and all the trials and the difficulties and the battles you go through, that you'll be strong and prosperous. That's at the beginning of his ministry. Now at the end of his ministry, in Joshua chapter 24... 
Joshua is giving his final sermon to the people and he says, listen, guys, I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to have to choose whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. See, proclaiming, knowing the word. That was, that was his passion. That's who he was. Now, some might be saying, well, Pastor Neil, how do I get started being that kind of person? That kind of person that knows and proclaims the truth of the Bible. Well, I'm so glad that question is in your mind because I'm going to answer it. In our chat, in our um, bulletin every month, in our bulletin every month is a scripture memory verse. And you're saying, how Sunday school? Come on, Neil. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Why am I doing this? Just to fill up your time? The reason I'm doing this is because I want to birth in you the joy of Scripture memory. It's not just for Sunday school. It's not for Sunday school. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might, what? Not sin against. Look at Lauren, Brother Lauren. He always is quoting the Psalms. Why does he do that? Because it's, it's in his heart. That's part of who he is. It's his DNA, so to speak, in his spiritual life. Let me encourage you. Have you begun to do this? Is this too Sunday school? Is this too junior high for you? Come on, guys. You need to begin to know the Word of God. Hide it in your heart. Hide it in your heart. Now, uh, last uh, month... I encourage you to begin to read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Remember that? I told you about that. Because you need to know the Word of God. You need to know the Word of God. Prophet needed to know the Word of God. So do you. And remember I talked to you about maybe really getting radical and buying a journal. Did you buy a journal? Did any of you buy a journal? Remember what I said? Yeah, I see those hands. God bless you. Buy a journal. Write down. So you're just not reading mindless scriptures, but you're thinking, what is it that I can read that I could make a note of? See, that helps you read with understanding. Write something down. The Lord said to me on this day. Then maybe even write something that you're thankful for. Or maybe then write something that the Lord is doing in your life. You might want to use that. Very helpful for reading in the scriptures. And you need to read from Genesis the Revelation. When Pastor Jimmy first went overseas and I became the senior pastor, I was doing my devotions in the New Testament, in the Greek New Testament. And it was my, part of my goal was to, was to do my devotions and translate the whole of the New Testament from Greek to my own special translation. That's what I was doing. And as I was working my way through in about a year, a year and a half, I suddenly realized I can't do this anymore. Even though I was focusing on the Bible and reading in the Bible... I wasn't reading the totality of the scriptures. And I needed to know all the stories. I needed to be very familiar with the scriptures, all the scriptures. And so when I finished reading in Revelation chapter 22, my next assignment was Genesis chapter 1. If that's true for me, so it's true for you. You need to read the whole Bible from start to finish. And when you finish it, start again. Now, there's special times where you might read a favorite proverb or psalm. That's wonderful, or Bible story. But make it a consistent time to read the Bible. Read the Bible. Now, 
Remember Pastor Rob just last week talked about the Billy Graham uh, call-in ministry. Remember an opportunity to talk to people who respond to the Billy Graham broadcasts. We're one of the call-in centers. Have you thought about doing that? Oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. That's part of proclaiming God's word. Remember we have an evangelism explosion in the fall where they'll teach you how to share the gospel and then give you an opportunity to share it with visitors from our ch- who have come through our church? Have you thought about taking that class? Why not? It's your responsibility to proclaim God's word. How about vacation Bible school? Have you been participating in that? There's, there's 140 kids going to come to our church next week. They're going to they're be teaching the word of God to them. How about global ministries outreach there, where people go on the internet through Campus Crusade and indicate that they've received Christ and want to talk to somebody? You can be a missionary right in your living room with your PJs on, talking to somebody over the internet. Have you thought about doing that? Why not? Why? Because you're to know God's word and you're to proclaim it. That's not just for me. That's for all of us as we face uh, a culture that seems to be forgetting about God more and more. Okay. Second responsibility is found in verse, beginning in verse 9. Let me read it. Then the Lord said to me, A conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their ancestors who refused to hear my words, and they have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am bringing disaster on them, which they are not able to escape. Though they cry to me, yet I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods whom they burned incense, but they surely will not save them in the time of their disaster. For your gods are as many as your cities, O Judah, as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to the shameful thing, altars to burn incense, the Baal. Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry of prayer for them. For I will not listen when they call to me because of their disaster. What right has my beloved in my house when she has done many vile deeds? Can the sacrificial flesh take away from your disaster so that you can rejoice? The Lord called your name a green olive tree, beautiful in fruit and form. With the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled a fire on it, and its branches are worthless. And the Lord of hosts who planted you has pronounced evil against you because of the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah, that which they have done to provoke me by offering up sacrifices to Baal. Second responsibility is we see in verses 9 through 17, the Lord would have us minister effectively to them. The Lord would have us minister effectively to them. Now we come back to a common theme that we've seen before. You remember in, in Jeremiah chapter 7, he had told them, I don't want you to pray for this people. Well, we see here again, verse 14 in our chapter. Therefore, do not pray for this people. Verse 11 says, when they pray, I'm not going to listen. Now, what is he saying here? Why is he saying that? Is he saying that we shouldn't pray for people to get saved? No, no, no. He's not what he's talking about. He's not saying to Jeremiah, don't pray that they be converted. He's praying when they have a disaster and they come to you and say, please pray to God that this disaster 
which is a consequence of our sin, will somehow be, dis, you know, be disallowed. No, no, no. He says, there's, there's consequences coming upon these people and don't bother praying for them because I ain't listening. <laughs> I'm not going to listen. When they ask for a blessing, <laughs> don't bother even asking for the blessing because they're going to get the curses. That's what he's saying. Now, What's going on here is the people in Jerusalem and Judah, they needed to experience something. (laughs) And no amount of prayer was going to stop that coming. They needed to hear the word of God or respond to it or they were going to be judged according to it. And and the Lord is telling Jeremiah, I want you to minister to these people in where their need is. They don't need prosperity and blessing. They need the discipline of the Lord. Now, in the book in the New Testament, Titus is an interesting book. That's just before Philemon in Hebrews. Let me read it. Titus is a book written to Titus from Paul, and Titus had been left at Crete, an island in the Mediterranean, to be the pastor. And um, Paul writes to them in chapter 1. He says, He's giving him advice. He says, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sorry gain. One of themselves, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Oh, Paul, how could you say that? Well, you know why he said that? Because it's true that they were liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Their culture prior to the gospel coming had allowed many immoral and wrong things in their lives. And Paul is simply telling Titus, this is where they're at. This is where they're at. Now, would they be able to be changed? Well, of course they could. But you have to minister to the people where? Right where they're at. This is, the, this is the truth about who they are. Now, I remember Pastor Jimmy. He would tell me stories about his travels in the Far East, coming upon cultures that had many uh, non-Christian habits that were foundational in the culture. And so even when, even when there was a veneer of Christianity, even when they had first accepted Christ, on a pretty regular, pretty regular basis, boop, <laughs> up would pop these things. <laughs> oh. And they were non-Christian cultural habits that had been ingrained in the people for centuries. And you have to learn to deal with those and minister effectively in the light of where they're at. I remember uh, many years ago, there was a young man coming to our church and just started coming to our church and we were going door-to-door witnessing. And as I was leaving one house and walking on the uh, pathway to the next house, there was a snail there and I just stepped on it. And it's just a snail. And he looked at me, he said, why did you do that, Neil? Why did you do that, Pastor Neil? And I thought, do what? 
Why don't you step in that snail? And I began to see that he had attached to him some spiritual issues. And I think it's kind of like Buddhism. Is that the kind of thing? Yeah, Buddhism is like into that thing. And, and me, I just take the snare oil and I just spread it in the garden. Da 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 da. And I get rid of the snails. And there was one. And, and I began to see that I needed to deal with him in a little bit different way than I would other folks. Jeremiah was instructed to deal with these people where they're at in light of what God wanted to do in their lives. There's a story in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. Jesus is up by Tyre and Zidon. And there's a lady comes to him. You remember the story. She's got a demon-possessed daughter. Matthew 15. Where am I? Here we go. Matthew 15, verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite, a Syrophoenician woman, came out from the region and began crying and saying, Have mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he didn't answer a word to her. Oh, Jesus, what's the matter? What? How could you be so rude, Jesus? And his disciples came to him and they kept asking him, saying, Send her away, for she's shouting after us. They weren't interested in helping her either. But he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Oh, that's not like Jesus at all, is it? And she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered again, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Oh, that's not very nice, Jesus. Yes, verse 27, but she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Ah, that got Jesus' attention. Now, okay, now I see where she's coming from. Then he said to her, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. You see, there, as he kind of saw where she was at, then he could minister to her effectively. Jesus did the same thing in his ministry. He says, don't give what's holy to the what? To the dogs and throw pearls before the swine. You gotta, gotta, gotta see where they're at and minister to them as God would have their real needs and where they really are at. Lord would have us minister effectively to them and to know and proclaim his word. Okay. Those are our two responsibilities that we see in chapter 11. Let's look now at the results, and I'll read through the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 18. Moreover, the Lord made it known to me, and I knew it. Then thou didst show me their deeds, but I was like a little lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know that they had devised plots against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut them off from the land of the living that his name be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tries the feelings of the heart, let me see the vengeance on them, for to thee I have committed my cause. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life, saying, Do not prophesy the name of the Lord, that you might not die at your hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am about to punish them. The young men will die with a sword. Their daughters and sons will die with a famine. 
and a remnant will not be left to them, for I will bring disaster on the men of Anathoth, the year of their punishment. First result, verses 18 and 19, we should expect some opposition. When proclaiming the the word in a hostile culture or to a hostile person, oftentimes we can expect opposition. Here, the group of men who are seeking to kill him. Um, We see in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are you when men persecute you and say wrong things about you because of me. 2 Timothy 3.12 says those who live seek live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer persecution. We would expect opposition. Now, why does this happen? Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they just say, oh, Jeremiah, you're, you're reading too much has driven you crazy. You know, whatever. Uh, go away and laugh and just leave him alone. Why did they do that? Why, why did they have to want to kill him? That's an interesting question. In the book of Acts, we have two fellows who preach the gospel. first one in the book of Acts is Peter. Now, we had looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Peter preaches this wonderful sermon on the day of Pentecost. And it says in verse 37, chapter 2, Now, when they heard this, there was about 3,000 men, maybe even more. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. They were really convicted. And they said, Brethren, what shall we do? They were hungry. They wanted to know. And, and Peter tells them, Repent. Be baptized. Get right with the Lord. What a wonderful response. In chapter 7, however, Stephen preaches to the Sanhedrin. And essentially his message is the same. He reviews Israel's history and both of them close with the fact that you guys have killed the Messiah. Well, Peter and Stephen, they're both, it's both there. But look at uh, what happened in verse 4 of chapter 8. Uh, chapter 7. No, it's chapter 8. I'm sorry. Did I say chapter 7? I was wrong. It's not chapter 7. It's chapter 8. Anyway. And... Uh, no, it is chapter 7. Wow. Yeah, chapter 8 is about the eunuch, but that's, not, that's another story. Chapter 7 is the story of Stephen preaching to the Sanhedrin. Now it says, Now when he had finished the sermon and they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted and they began gnashing their teeth at him. That doesn't mean they were biting him. What it means is they were just going, Arr! and they rushed at him and they stoned and killed him. You remember the story? Now, what's the difference? Same message. Uh... Peter, different group. In Acts chapter 2, they were hungry for the things of God. They wanted change in their life. Acts chapter 7, what was it? They had a vested interest in the status quo. Uh, Matter of fact, they had a vested financial interest in the status quo. Their whole life was going to change if they heard and responded to Peter's sermon. And so they responded with persecution. When we uh, proclaim the truth of the Bible to people and we know it, oftentimes we can expect opposition. You're saying, well, thanks a lot, Neil. 
We, we speak the word and then, boom, we're going to get persecuted. Yeah, but that's not all. In Isaiah 55, there's a passage that goes like this. I think I can get the chapter right this time. Yes, it is chapter 5. Verse 11. Well, verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Do you hear that? Now, that's just below the passage where it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Remember that verse? Well, what it's saying is there is we're looking at a situation and we're getting opposition and persecution. We say, eh, we'll write that crowd off. There's nothing there that's going to happen. No, 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 no. Because what does the Bible say? The Bible says when my word goes out, what happens? It produces fruit. It will produce fruit. Now, we don't see it. We can't see it because our thoughts and our ways are not like God's. But he knows. And so he, he preaches the word and it will produce fruit fruit. You can depend on it. It will produce the fruit. Now, oftentimes, the person who is giving us the most opposition is the person who is being convicted by the worry word. Do you remember when Stephen was being stoned? There was a guy there and his name was who? Saul of Tarshish. And he was very vocal in his opposition to the gospel. And what Stephen had said, matter of fact, he was witnessing. He held the coats of the guys who were stoning. But just shortly thereafter, he being marvelously converted. I remember many years ago, a young fellow had come back to live in his parents' house, and he had been living a rather loose life. And they were Christians. And he said, Mom, Dad, can I come home? And they said, Yes, under two conditions no drugs, no alcohol. And he got to go to church on Sunday. No. Okay. So he moved in. And I remember the first Sunday he came, sitting in the back with his arm folded. Wouldn't smile. Nothing. Wouldn't even talk to me. I was thinking, that's fine. And the t- parents told me what was going on. Well, that's fine. And so I began to chip at him. Week after week. And it wasn't me. It was what? It was the Word of God. And then all of a sudden... No more of this. Just kind of sitting around. and Even occasionally, wow, he smiled. Wow, something's going on. And before you knew it, he rededicated his life to the Lord. Now, he wasn't perfect after that, and he's not perfect now. I still know him. He's, you know, he's got issues. But I saw the Word of God, even though he was very opposed to it at first, was doing its work. Because when it goes out, it's not going to return empty. So we can expect opposition. Second result is we should leave the vengeance to the Lord. Look what he says in verse 20. He finds out about these people trying to kill him. And he says in verse 20, let me see thy vengeance. Not my vengeance, thy vengeance. Now we have a natural tendency to do what? To get, take revenge on somebody who's after us. They hurt us. We want to hurt them back. Classic example is found in David. Remember, David was being chased by Saul all over the backside of the desert. And in 1 Samuel chapter 24, they're in the caves of En Gedi. 
We've gone to En Gedi. How many of you have been to En Gedi? There's been a few of us. Yes, we've been to the cave of En Gedi. Anyway, he's in the cave, and Saul is vulnerable. And somebody says, get him, David. Get him. Now. David says, no. Two chapters later, in chapter 26, in the wilderness of Ziph. What a place. Saul, once again, is vulnerable. All of his guards have fallen asleep. And the men say, you know, you could be seen as like kind of self-defense, David. Get him. Kill him. And David says he would not touch the Lord's anointed. Why? He had respect for the office, the anointing of the office, not the person. He wasn't respecting Saul because Saul was not walking with the Lord. He wouldn't take revenge on Saul for what he had done. Now, in Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us, do not be overcome by evil, what? But overcome evil with good. We're not to do evil for evil. Why is that? Well, oftentimes, if we take a revenge, we become part of their evil. They have done evil to us, and what have we done? We've compensated by not doing good, but doing evil to them. So we participate in their evil. And the second reason I think that the Lord tells us not to take revenge is because he's a lot better at it. (laughs) The Lord does a lot better at it. You know, we get emotionally involved and so we go too much or too little. We're all emotional. But guess what? The Lord isn't emotional. He can see exactly what they need. And when he does it, he does it like a fine artist. So leave it in his hands. Let him deal with it. He does a lot better job than you or I would ever do. So the second result is we should leave the vengeance to the Lord. Third result is we should often expect those closely related to us to be active in the opposition. We should often expect those closely related to us to be active in the opposition. Look at verses 21 through 23. Why do I say that? Anathoth, that was Jeremiah's hometown. These were his buddies. These were the guys he had grown up with. And they're out to kill him. What's that about? Matthew chapter 10 tells us the opposition that we have to the gospel often comes what? From our own family. From our own family. Why is this? Well, oftentimes it's seen as a betrayal. It's seen as a betrayal. We're betraying everything that we were beforehand and we've turned against them. They perceive it as betrayal of them. I remember years ago when I was just starting in seminary, there was a fine professor, Charles Feinberg. And I have talked about him before. If you ever get, see a book by Charles Feinberg on the Old Testament, you want to pick it up. It's a great, he's a great Hebrew scholar. He's gone home to be with the Lord. But Dr. Feinberg was speaking at the final chapel service before he retired. And uh, Dr. Feinberg had been converted to Christ from uh, when he was studying to be a rabbi. Hmm. And he told the story of when he told his mother that he had become a follower of Jesus. He said, he told her, and he said, with tears running down his face, and when I said those words, she turned from me and never spoke to me again for the rest of his life, rest of her life. And then he said, and my dear brothers, 
if I had it to do over again, I would do the same thing. It's tough. It's tough. Sometimes the opposition comes from those closest to us. I was speaking to dear Pastor Farouz, our Persian pastor, when he came to know the Lord. His family first tried to allure him with women and money and own business and try to distract him. But then when it became clear that he was purposely going to follow, become a follower of Jesus, they began to persecute him and beat him up and throw him out of the house. That's what happens. Sometimes when people come to Calvary Chapel and accept Christ from other Christian traditions, uh, they see uh, Calvary Chapel as a cult. Oh, why are you going to Calvary Chapel? That's a cult. They would see it's not enhancing their Christian life, but uh, going against that which is true. Now, that puts us in a difficult position, doesn't it? It puts us in a very difficult position. Because those whom we love and those who seemingly loved us, now have turned against us. I was talking to Dr. Greenwood earlier this week, and he said there was a young man who was converted in a small village away from them, uh, where almost all of the people were not Christians. And he began to get such abuse and persecution and ridicule that the young man, unfortunately, committed suicide. Because it was so tough for him. So very tough for him. So one of the results of coming to know the word and proclaiming it is that there's opposition. That there's opposition and sometimes from those closest to us. Okay. Kind of wrapping it up here this, this morning. I want to leave uh, kind of uh, a little story I found about the difference between California and Arizona. In California, the governor of California is jogging with his dog along a nature trail. A coyote jumps out, bites the governor, and attacks the dog. What does the governor do? Number one, the governor starts to intervene, but reflects on the movie Bambi, and then realizes that he should stop. The coyote is only doing what is natural. Number two, he calls for animal control. Animal control captures the coyote and bills the state $200, testing it for diseases and $500 for relocating it. Number three, he calls a veterinarian. The vet collects the dead dog and bills the state $200. Number four, the governor goes to the hospital and spends $3,500 checking for diseases from the coyote and getting his bite wound bandaged. Number five, the running trail gets shut down for six months while the fish and game conduct a $100,000 survey to make sure the area is free of dangerous animals. Number six, the governor spends $50,000 in state funds implementing a coyote awareness program for the residents in the area. Number seven, the state legislature spends $2 million to study to study how to better deal and treat with rabies and how to permanently eradicate the disease throughout the known world. Number eight, the governor's security agent is fired for not stopping the attack and somehow letting the governor attempt to intervene. Number nine, additional cost to the state of California is $75,000 to hire and train a new security agent with additional special training in 
the nature of coyotes. Number 10, PETA protests the coyotes' relocation and files suit against the state. Arizona. The governor of Arizona is jogging with her dog along a nature trail. A coyote jumps out and attacks her dog. The governor shoots the coyote with her state-issued pistol and keeps jogging. The governor has spent 50 cents on a 45 uh, (laughs) hollow-point cartridge. The buzzards eat the coyote. That's why California is broke. Now, that just kind of whets our appetite. (laughs) But there's a point here. Here's the point, guys. Life here is so complicated. There's so much going on. It's just so complicated. Is there a simple solution? Yes, there is a simple solution. We need to know the Word of God. We need to proclaim the Word of God. And we need to minister to the people as they need, have need, and we knowing that we're going to have persecution sometimes from close family members, and we need to leave the vengeance of anything that they would do to us, to the Lord. Amen? Simple. It's really simple. Thanks be to God, to Jeremiah, and the word that he would speak to us this morning. Father, thank you for your love in our lives. Thank you for the work that you would do in and through us. You're the one. Bless now as we go before you into this mission field this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.